Shall we go there? Galatians 3. We're talking about, uh, we're going to dwell on this for a little bit. You guys mind if we dwell on something? You know, the Bible talks about meditate on the, on the, on the word, meditate on the law. And uh, I, th- I, I, I think sometimes because of how much teaching is available these days, because of how many, much knowledge about the Bible and how many different teachers there are available, um, people rush truths. And they jump from one truth to another and they, and, and they, you know, hear a bit of this and hear a bit of this, hear a bit of this, hear a bit of this, hear a bit of this. And uh, a lot of it is, is, is satisfying our intellect and our knowledge because we feel we're growing, we're learning lots, we're growing in knowledge. But what we're not doing is what the Bible teaches us to do, which is meditate and dwell on something. And, and, and so people are increasing in knowledge but they're still just as bound. They're not getting free in areas. And they're going to churches where they teach the word even. Good word. Do you know that just because you hear about healing doesn't mean you're going to be healed? Now, hearing about the word, faith comes by hearing the word. But, but you've got to do something. You've got to put your faith into practice, don't you? Um, so it, it, a lot of times people are increasing in knowledge. But really, the whole idea of camping on something and dwelling on a truth is, 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 is not is being a bit mixed missed and um and and that's why that's why we're going to just spend a bit of time on this because i want to build this into you and this is why i encouraged you last week dwell on this in even in your own life in the week um not because you don't know it not because you never heard it before but because it, it enables us as a church to begin to grow in an area doesn't it and, and it can re-stir up a truth that you've walked in in the past. Maybe you're already doing that, and that's okay. But let's let's look at this. Galatians 3, we'll read our text. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How many of us have been redeemed from the curse of the law? And who's us there? Who's us? Me? Are we part of us? This is the New Testament written to the body of Christ, isn't it? And, and, and so this is, this is talking about those that have received Jesus. You'll see in Christ is a little bit uh, on verse 14. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, he took the judgment upon himself. He, and when we receive Jesus, we made new creations we become the righteousness of God in Christ. We're not righteous by our own works. We're righteous. How? By faith. By our faith in Jesus. And when you look through the word, you realize the curse is not for the righteous, is it? Who's the curse for? It's for the unrighteous, for the wicked, for, for the disobedient. You see this over and over in the scripture that, that, it's, that it's those that are not walking in the ways of God to get the curse. Should, should, should the church walking in the word, walking in righteousness be cursed? Should a Christian walking in the word, walking in the reality of their righteousness in Christ, should they be experiencing the curse? Well, you listen to, you listen to some people, they'll say, oh, it's the will of God, all this that's happening to you. It's not, is it? We, we, we've been led to believe that things that the Bible says are of the curse, we've been led to believe that, that we should just accept them and it's God's plan for us. 
When you look through scripture, you'll find the curse was never God's plan and will. His will was what? Well, what's the opposite of the curse? Blessing. Blessing. When he created man in Genesis, does it say when he, Adam and Eve, when, it's, when God created the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve were there, does it say God blessed and cursed them? Has anyone ever read that? What does it say? He blessed them. I know we haven't looked at this yet and, said, and we'll look at this, but he blessed man. It's one of the first things he did. When did the curse come? After sin, after the fall. It wasn't put, it wasn't God, part of God's original plan and purpose. It wasn't his plan as well. So, and it's not his plan. Why would he redeem us from the curse if he wanted us under the curse? He could have just left us how we were, but he didn't. So anything that's of the curse is not his plan and purpose for us. Do we have to tolerate and accept anything that's of the curse in our lives? Do we have to just sit back? Well, since it's happening, maybe it's the will of the Lord. Maybe God wants it there. Some Christians think that, yes, if it happens to you, it must be the will of God. But that's not what the Bible says. What should you do when, 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 when something starts to come into your life that's not God's plan and God's will for you? Not everything that happens is God's will. You know that. What, what should you do? You should begin to, the Bible says resist. We looked at this last week. Resist the devil. Put your faith on something and begin to believe I don't have to have that. <clears throat> begin to believe I'm, Christ has redeemed me from the curse. Now, what does he say? Verse 14. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon. That's what God wants for us is the blessing. The, the blessing. Notice, I'm going to say this very quickly. This wasn't in my plan. But notice it's, it's not called the curse of Abraham and the blessing of Abraham. Have you noticed that? What's it called? The curse of the law and the blessing of Abraham. Just, just, just a little side thought, but it's interesting. Why, why is it not called the curse of Abraham and the blessing of Abraham? Sorry? Okay, but, but, but there was no curse on Abraham. <laughs> that, that's why it's not called the curse of Abraham. See, on the law, in the law, there was blessing and curse. But you realize that Abraham, God came to Abraham in Genesis 12 and said, I will bless you. And say, the, in, in, in the instructions to Abraham, you do not see God mentioning the blessing and the curse, do you? Go, go, through, go, through, Abraham's, go through Abraham's life and you won't find he had the option of blessing or cursing, did he? Isn't that interesting? You know, cursing. Now, under the law, there's blessing and curse. I want to tell you. I want to tell you something. Do you realize that Abraham, for want of a better word, is the model for the New Testament? Does does he point in the New Testament to Abraham's faith? Does he say, "Look at Abraham. Look at Abraham. Go look at his faith. Walk in his faith." Does the New Testament refer anything to the promise? It was made to Abraham. And we're heirs of the promise. Does the New Testament refer anything to his covenant relationship and the covenant that God started with Abraham? He is used as the pattern and the model over and over and over again. Why didn't God use Moses as the model? 
Why did God pick Abraham? Interestingly, I, I believe, do you realize Abraham stepped into and walked in some things that were, for want of a better way to describe it, ahead of his time? He, apart from being born again in the new creation, he pretty much walked in the reality of the new covenant. A faith-based relationship with God, walking in blessing, understanding blood and understanding covenant, understanding the fact that the righteous are not supposed to be cursed. How many people were walking in that revelation all the way back then? How many? He, he, there's a reason he's chosen and pointed to being the model, apart from, yes, he's the father of our faith and all these kind of things. But interestingly, there, was not, there wasn't blessing and curse on his life. Do you know what there was? Only blessing. Doesn't that sound like how God started in the Garden of Eden? Before, before the fallen man, there was only blessing. After, after At the end of the, the book of Revelation, when, when everything's been sorted out and we've walked out the fullness of the plan of redemption, the Bible says there'll be no more curse. Well, if there's no more curse, what is there? So, say it the way I'm saying it. Only blessing. Only. Only blessing means not blessing and curse. Under the law, there was blessing and curse. Do you remember? Do you, do you realize when God created this planet and he blessed man in Genesis, do you realize that blessing never went away? It doesn't say God withdrew that blessing in Genesis and then the curse came. When, when the curse came because of the fall of man, you had blessing and curse functioning. On the earth. Remember God said, I've, in, in Deuteronomy under the law, he talks about, I've set before you blessing and cursing. Okay? So we, we have become familiar with functioning in a place where there's blessing and cursing, curse on the pres, uh, presence on the earth. The, the concept of living in a place where there is only blessing functioning in my life is foreign to most people. In fact, most people are experiencing more of the curse than a little bit of the blessing. But if you look in the New Testament, I believe God's brought us back to a place where it's only blessing. Christ has, what happens to the curse? Christ has redeemed us from the curse that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. What is Ephesians 1.3? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Why does he mention the curse in there first? Because we're supposed to function in only blessing. There's a powerful revelation in that if you, if you really meditate on that. It was always God's plan and God's desire for us to only walk in blessing. Can you imagine what that would be like? Some of you are like, no, this, uh, I don't see how uh, you know, powerful that is. That's pretty incredible. No curse influencing any part of your life. No, yeah, no, no, no judgment for, for anything you did wrong. You know, you know what righteousness, righteousness has got to do with living your relationship with God as if sin had never existed in the first place. Well, what would this earth have been like if, if sin had never existed in the first place? If there'd been no disobedience and Adam and Eve had never, had never fallen, what would the earth be like in terms of blessing and curse right now? There would only be blessing. 
Now, do you realize in Christ, it's God's plan for us to walk in the place where we're walking and only blessing and the curse can't even get in. Now, the curse might be going on around you, but does it have to be in the life of a believer? Does the curse have to access? Does the curse have to be able to just come on in and take, on, take over? And many Christians say, well, why is the curse just taking on over? Because the blessing operates in the realm of faith. And what do we, how, how are we supposed to function in the realm of faith? We are supposed to pop in and out once a week. Live by faith. If you live in faith, you'll live in blessing. Because the blessing operates in faith. Each time we step out of faith and into other things, we give place to the enemy to get in. Now, that's another, another, another thing. But as we begin to learn to function fully in the realm of faith, you know what? Faith is the faith shield. Now, I know, I know he was using the Roman soldier so in the, the, when he gave the armor of God. But personally, when I look into the word, I'm more convinced that it's a shield all around you. Your faith becomes a shield as you walk in it that the, the curse can't penetrate into. It's, we're not, we don't have to always be under the control of the curse. He's redeemed us. He set us free. But you've got to become convinced of this and build this and, 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 and meditate on it and speak it. This is why we're dwelling on this. None of this is actually what I was going to cover so far, but it's good. Now, it, it, it is, in talking about blessing and cursing, it's really important that we understand that what, how the Bible teaches blessing and cursing. Do you realize that the concept of blessing and the concept of cursing goes throughout almost every religion and belief system on the planet? Why? Why do you, why do you find that you go back through history, different cultures, you go back and tell you, many of them even still today, they have some kind of idea of belief, of the idea of blessing and cursing. Why? Why is it everywhere in every belief system or most? Because it goes all the way back to the first two human beings on the planet. Goes back to when God spoke that blessing and that curse came in. The very first two human beings on the planet, so as they had children, as they had descendants, it got passed down. And as they spread across the planet, the concept of blessing and cursing was everywhere. But in many instances, it got adjusted off the word and people brought in their own ideas and different things into the concept of blessing and cursing. So just because the idea of blessing and cursing is in all kinds of different religions doesn't not necessarily mean that every idea that people have about blessing and cursing is correct. Do you know that a lot of superstition gets attached? Okay? People have a lot of superstition in the term in, in, in the area of curses. And what happens in Christianity is people hear, oh, you guys believe in blessing and cursing too. Oh, yes, you know, and they bring in all their superstition, they mix it with the Bible, they relabel it and call it Christian. There's a lot of mixture of superstition and other religions and ideas it happens in more areas than just blessing and cursing but it, 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 people mix in and then they teach it as if it's christian doctrine but actually it's a mixture of superstition and bible we need to distinguish what is the biblical presentation of these things and walk in that and 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 and, and, and you know people get concerned about cursed objects and cursed this and you know and and and, and someone put a curse on me and i don't want to go into all of that but you need to realize what did we look at last week what does the bible show us what matters is the blessing or curse on the person 
See, these blessings will come upon you. Did it matter what the ground was like when Isaac sowed on the ground because the blessing was on him? Should we fear someone put a curse on some object and I'm going to be afraid of it? Or should I become aware of the blessing of the Lord upon me? Do, should I get pulled into the superstition that others are in and then just become that become part of my Christianity? Do you realize if you're mixing superstition and Bible, then you're not really walking in the word. You're mixing it, you're walking in a mixture. And that's why the truth's not setting a lot of people free, because it's a blended truth. It's blended with superstition and other religions and ideas. So it's important as we understand blessing and curse, we've got to look in the word, not just everywhere else. Not everything you read about blessing and cursing is accurate. You've got to check it in line with the word. Amen? But we want to know what the word does actually say as we look at this. Now, let's go, let's go to Deuteronomy 28. Because it's important that we build an awareness of blessing and cursing. It's important that we build an awareness in our lives of what is a curse and what is a blessing or what is part of the curse let's put it that way what did we see does anyone remember what we saw last week that the bible shows us is part of the curse in terms of the land remember the curse cain was cursed what happened to the land around him that he was trying to farm didn't produce was it the fault of the land? Was it, was it because, does the Bible say because the land was just hard and wouldn't produce? What was the problem in that situation? The curse on Cain. And then we saw the reverse with Abraham, uh, sorry, with, with Isaac. Didn't matter if there was famine in the land. What matters is what was functioning on Isaac. And because... The, the blessing was functioning on Isaac, even in a difficult, famine-filled land, he, the land would produce for him. Do you, remember, do you realize that the blessing on you will cause production for you when no one else is getting anything to produce? So do we have to be concerned about the hard ground or the circumstances? Many people are trying to change their circumstances, but God starts by changing us and doing something in us. <clears throat> And, and it, this, is what, this is one of the reasons people don't spend time in the Word. I'm not saying this to condemn people, but I want to illustrate. You know, someone's facing a challenge. They're facing a crisis in their circumstance. And you say, well, you need to get in the Word. You know what? I'll be honest with you. At some level, they think, well, what point is that going to do? What good is that going to do? How's me getting in the Word going to change that circumstance? What's the point? So they don't do it, do they? Because they are wanting the ground, the circumstance to change. But God shows, what, what does he say in, in Psalm 1? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly or sit in the way of sinners, etc. I might be misquoting some of those the wrong way around. But verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, the word. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers. And it goes on to describe the blessing. Do you see the connection there between the blessing functioning in their lives and the word in them? Because as changes happen in here, and as the blessing functions in, in you, things, that blessing begins to affect the things around you. And it doesn't matter if it's difficult or, or the curse is going on elsewhere. 
So we don't, so we don't need to worry about the, 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 the ground being hard. What's important? I'm, I'm blessed. Christ has redeemed me. I'm free from the curse. Doesn't matter if everything's going wrong for everybody else around us. Well, we love them, you know, we want to help people, but but does that mean it has to go wrong for me? No, because I'm blessed. The, 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 I'm redeemed from the curse. Begin to this is why grab a hold of those truths, both sides of the truth, the curse, free from the curse and walking in the blessing. Get both sides of the revelation. Amen. Did you go to Deuteronomy 28? Deuteronomy 28. Verse 33. Uh, let's, let's look at something else. So this is, this is connected to what I was talking about last week. So last week we were talking about the ground being able to produce for us and because of the blessing on the person or the curse on the person. Amen? But I want to I look at another aspect here of what the curse does. We're going to look a little bit at the curse and we're going to look at what the blessing will do. It's very connected. I want to talk to you in terms of the blessing causes fruitfulness fruitfulness and some of you are like well what's so wonderful about that that, that sounds like well 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 uh, i trust that as you get in the word you're going to begin so that's actually quite exciting i'm not just talking about the fruit of the spirit in your spiritual life what is fruit fruit is production isn't it it's increase it's growth now, I don't believe it's just God's will for us to be fruitful in spiritual matters. You look in the Word, you can be fruitful in different areas. Do you know, when a blessed person starts a business and the blessing comes upon that business, what is fruitfulness in a business? Growth, production, increase. Begins to bear fruit. What, what, about, what about a church or a ministry? Begins to produce, begins to grow, begins to increase. That's why, that's why no matter what we see with our eyes, we look around and we say God, God's blessing is upon this church. Amen? Amen? We speak that out. We thank God. Put our faith in that. But fruitfulness has always been God's plan for man. God, God plans and intends for us to be fruitful in what we're doing. Now, even, even if you're not running your own business, even if you're not running your own church, even if you, you're working for someone else, can you be fruitful in what you're doing? Was Joseph fruitful? Like I said, this is very similar to last week. We're talking about the land producing, but it's just almost a, just a slight step forward on this. So there's going to be some similar concepts as to last week. Is that all right? But I want you to begin to realize it's God's plan, it's God's desire for you to be fruitful in the things that you do. Let's, let's look at this. Let the, let's let the word build a bit of faith here. Deuteronomy 28. Now, I, we're going to look at the curse side of it first, and we're going to begin to get some things about the blessing. Is that all right with you? Deuteronomy 28, verse 33. Deuteronomy 28, verse 33 says this. A nation, now, this is part of the curse. We're in verse 33, so this is where he's listing out what the effect of the curse and things being cursed. A nation whom you have not known shall do what? Eat the fruit of your land. Now, in that instance, the land produced, but what happened to the fruit? 
someone else got the benefit of it. Does that sound does that sound good? It's one thing if you're blessing someone with something and they get the benefit. There's nothing wrong with that. But but if it's supposed to be for you and someone else gets it, that doesn't sound right, does it? Is that what God wants? Does God want things stolen from us? Who's the thief? Is God the thief? <laughs> but we notice this, the effect the curse has on the fruit. Something begins to grow. Something begins to produce. But what happened? Do you get to enjoy the fruit of it? That's a curse. Someone else shall eat the fruit of your land and the produce of your labor. You shall only be oppressed and crushed continually. Does that sound good? <laughs> that does not sound good. Is that God's plan for you? It's not God's plan for you. It's not God's desire or will for you. Let's just jump down and read a couple of others. Verse 38. Verse 38. You shall carry much seed out to the field, but gather little in. Why are you gathering little in? Well, we'll get down to that. But if you're gathering little in, you're not really enjoying the fruit, are you? Do you see this is talking about something similar here? Much seed, but gather little in. Why? As you said, for the locust shall consume it. Yeah, it's being consumed. All of that fruit gets produced, and what happens? It just gets consumed. Do you realize this is the curse? How many of you ever, feel, ever felt like that about things you've put your hand to? You put in a lot of effort, and it just seems something just eats it all up, and there's no, no real benefit or fruit out of it. Do you realize that's the curse? This is part of how the curse functions. I'm not just talking apples and oranges today. Do you understand? This is why I said we need to begin to identify some of the nitty-gritty, get into the details of how the Bible describes that curse. We might not be farmers these days, but when you put in effort and then the fruit just gets eaten up and you don't really get to benefit the fruit, that's part of the curse. We, sometimes we just think that's normal. Oh, it was just a bad year. Why is it a bad year? What we're basically saying is we didn't get much benefit out of that year. Well, in those days, in farming days, what meant a good year or a bad year is whether they got a good, good crop of fruit, good harvest, or whether they didn't. And we might not talk in those same terms, but it means we worked hard, we didn't really get much out of it. Well, let's hope next year is better. What are you saying? The curse is functional. Do you see this? What do we know from Galatians 3 about the curse? Christ. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. Do we have to have that? Is that the way it should, should be? Can you, can you walk in a place where you're abiding and walking free from the curse just go, taking over all the time? Notice what else he says here. Verse 39. <clears throat> you shall plant vineyards and tend them, but you shall neither drink of the wine nor gather of the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. <laughs> well, worms eat fruit, don't they? If I cut an apple open and you think, oh, hold on, I think there was a worm in this apple. What's it doing? It's eating up the fruit. <clears throat> Cleaning up the fruit. Let's read verse 40. You shall have olive trees. Olive trees. <laughs> I'll get there. Olive trees. <laughs> Throughout all your territory. But you shall not anoint yourself with the oil. You've got all these olive trees growing. But you never get to. Anointing yourself with the oil means you're oh, enjoying the benefits of those olives, aren't you? 
What are they doing? They're all, all of that olive oil from that olive. Oh, I love the benefit. But what do you say? You won't get to anoint yourself with the oil of those olives. Why not? I'm not doing a beauty class up here. <laughs> says you, you, you won't get to enjoy, in, 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 enjoy it. Why? For the olives shall drop off. What are the olives? That's the fruit, isn't it? It just drops off. What, and drops on the ground. You come in and it's all trodden down. And In other words, you don't get to enjoy the fruit. Is this the curse? So, so either locusts eat it, worms eat it, or just drops on the ground and you don't get, or, some, or someone else comes and takes it. That's you not getting the enjoyment out of the fruit. How many people are living like this? Does anyone identify? Not just talking fruit. How many people are living in a place where all their efforts, they don't get to enjoy the benefits of it? Or doesn't produce a lot? Just verse 42. Locusts shall consume all your trees and the produce of your land. All of these verses are talking about the effect that the curse has on fruitfulness in your life. Now, does it say that it was God's will and plan and desire for his people who are walking with him to have the fruit destroyed? Remember, the curse was for the, for, in, was for the disobedient, not, not the people walking with God. For us, the people of faith. Doesn't say God wanted that. Now let's look at God's plan. Go to Genesis 1. Let's just read this. I quoted it earlier. God, it's God's desire. It's God's plan. It's God's will, purpose, intention for me as, as, as his child to be fruitful in the things that I do. And for the blessing to begin to manifest and cause fruitful production. To occur. Does that sound good? Genesis chapter 1. I won't read the whole thing, but starting in verse 26, it talks about uh, God said, Let us make man in our image. So this is the creation of man taking place here. And then um, going down to verse 28, I touched my, 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 hold on one second, let me just find where my notes were. Gone past it. Okay, verse 28. Now, God's just created man. So verse 28 is the first thing God said or spoke to his man, his newly created man. First thing, yeah? And God did what? Verse 28. Blessed. The very first thing. Does that, does that show anything about his will and plan for this newly created man? Did he intend man to be blessed? Did he intend man to have some curse and some blessing? What did he intend? Only blessing. Only blessing. We can have that in Christ again. Get a hold of this. Then God blessed them and God said to them, what's the very first thing he said in that blessing? Be? Be? Fruitful. The very first thing in the very first instruction God gave man was fruitful. Be fruitful. Why? God wants us to be fruitful. Does he just want us to be fruitful in one area? Does he want us to be fruitful in any areas? This is the will of God. Begin to grab a hold of this. God wants me fruitful in the things that I'm doing. The blessing of the Lord can cause the things that I'm doing in my life to be fruitful. Now, yes, I mean, I'm not talking about being led by the Spirit and different things. Obviously, listen to God. 
God says don't do something and then and then and you do it anyway. Don't be surprised if, it, if the blessing and the fruitfulness doesn't work on it. So we inter- we include this with being led by the Spirit, all kinds of different things in our lives. I mean, walking the word, but but ultimately grab a hold of the concept that God wants his people fruitful in the things that they do. He wants it when you put your hand to something, he wants it to begin to produce and produce fruit. We've become so accustomed to lack of fruitfulness. We think it's normal. We think it's oh, we just had a bad year. No, you had a year where the curse governed. <laughs> and, and we just think it's normal to live like that. But what do we know about the curse? Does the curse just have to keep taking over? Christ has redeemed me from the curse. Meditate on this. Speak this. Build this into you. God, He says, be fruitful. Do you realize when God says be? He's speaking something into somebody. That is, he's declaring that. He's, he's like, be healed. Jesus said to the storm, peace, be still. That's a command. That's not just a suggestion. This is God speaking words of faith into someone. <clears throat> His word. What is he saying? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. He's speaking it over the, the man he's created. And, 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 and that is setting his, that man's destiny with the word of God. To be fruitful. Was it every God's intention that man not be fruitful? No. No, it wasn't. Fruit, fruitful means things grow, things produce. When I step out and I start a new project, if it's being fruitful, what happens? Begins to go, doesn't it? What if someone else has tried doing that same project ten times? No matter, matter, didn't, didn't matter, because it's not in the project, it's in the person. I'm blessed. Begins to be productive. Begins to increase. Should we expect this? God likes fruitfulness. God put fruitfulness in on this planet. Do you realize? He built it into part of this planet. But so often as Christians, we've, we've even been taught to think that fruitfulness is wrong. Like we should be guilty for it. Like we should feel bad about thing, being fruitful. Or like, it's somehow wrong, like, oh, God wouldn't want that for his people. Of course he wants it for his people. He, he put it in his word. Why would he fill his word with this concept? Someone says, well, I'm not entirely sure he did fill his word with this concept. Okay, you won't get a chance to look at all of these. I'm going to go through these quickly, but just have a listen. How important is fruitfulness to God? Well, we've just seen it in Genesis. In fact, even before man, he said some things. Let me read this. Genesis 1.22, he's talking about the sea life. And says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. What did he say to the sea life and the birds? Be fruitful. Be fruitful. We've just read the, what he said to man. What about, what about later with Noah? Just write these down if you want the references. Okay. Genesis 8, 17. This is the NIV version. He says this. Bring out, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you. And then later on it says, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number. Is God repeating similar instructions? Notice what he, then he goes, Genesis 9.1. Then God blessed Noah and his son, saying to them, be fruitful and increase. Is God being repetitious? Is this even after the fall of man? Has God changed his desire? Does he no longer want fruitfulness? Genesis 9, 7. 
As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase in it. Now, someone says, oh, the fruitfulness there is just talking about growing in, in, in number. I believe so. As you look through the word, you begin to realize God is very interested in fruitfulness in all areas. Very interested. Very interested. In fact, I remember, I remember Jesus, Jesus coming down the road one day and he saw a tree that was not being fruitful. Was he happy about that? Did he think, oh, that tree is living in the perfect will of God. It's not producing fruit. Well, what was Jesus' attitude toward a tree that was not being fruitful? He said, well, you're going to be fruitful. Might as well end. Just, there's no point. Okay, now don't, He's not saying that about a person. But in that, you see Jesus' attitude toward fruitfulness. What was he looking for in that tree? Fruit. Fruit. How many of Jesus' parables did he talk about Fruit. Why has God put this all over the place? Why? Because he wants us to be fruit-minded. He wants us to understand that the blessing of the Lord in my life will cause things to be fruitful. Now, what if you're not currently being fruitful? Or what if there's kind of a little bit of fruitfulness, a little bit of not? Put your faith on Christ as redeemed me from the curse of the Lord. And that blessing operating on my life will release that fruitfulness and bring cause things to be fruitful. Because I'll read all of these. Again, Matthew 21, verse 34. These are out of the parables of Jesus. Matthew 21, verse 34. Now, when the vintage time drew near, he sent his, his servants to the vine dressers, notice this, that they might receive its fruit. How many of his parables did he say, talk about a vine dresser going back and saying, right, I want the fruit? Why is that all over his parables? Because God likes fruit. God likes fruit. He's interested in it. Luke 13, verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it. What does that tell you? Does, did Jesus tell parables about people looking for fruit and things? Yeah. Why? He likes fruit. He's interested in it. He's interested in it. He wants it. Did, did, did he say in John 15, he who abides in me? John 15 verse 5, he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Do you see the, do you see the interest in fruitfulness? If you abide in me, my words abide in you, verse 7. But then verse 8, by this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. It's, oh, it's just spiritual fruit. As you look through the Bible, why is it people try to limit things of God? Let's put a cap on everything. Now, some context, he might be talking about fruit in a specific context. But when you look at the broader picture of the word, you begin to realize God likes fruitfulness in all areas. He likes us to be fruitful in the projects we step out of. Yes, he wants his word to be fruitful in us. Yes, he wants us to have the fruit of the spirit. Yes, he wants us virtual lives to be fruitful. Paul talks about the fruit of our righteousness. But he also wants us walking in the place where his people are fruitful in what we do on this earth. That's part of the blessing of God. It's part of what God has me. Let's, let's look at some scriptures. James, uh, Jeremiah 17. Why am I teaching this? I want you to become fruit-minded. I want you to begin, begin to believe that the, the blessing of God can, can cause that fruitfulness can cause fruitfulness to, 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 to happen in your life, can it?
Can I be fruitful? Do I, am, I, am I supposed to just, like we talked about last week, toil in hardship on that ground, trying to get that ground to produce, but nothing will happen on that ground because a curse is functioning on, on the last. No. Or am I supposed to be in a place where, where I put my hand to things? Does the Bible talk about you, everything you put your hand to? Prosper. The moment you begin to work a project, the project might have been going wrong up until then, but a blessed person starts working on that project, project starts going right. Why? Is it because they changed anything about the project? Is it because someone changed? Well, maybe if God gave you some ideas, but actually just your presence on that project. How many, how many of you know they'll notice in work? If you work for someone else, they'll notice. If every time you touch a project, it starts to just go right. <laughs> What is it about you? It's the blessing. Look at Jeremiah 17. Verse 5. Jeremiah 17 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord. Cursed is the man. Is that for me? <laughs> Do we have to have this? Does he say it's God's will for this to be there? Or is he just describing an actual situation of a person who's got a curse functioning in their life? He's not, he's not saying it's God's will. He just says, this is, this is how the curse starts to show up in someone's life. What he's about to describe. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Well, what does Galatians say? Galatians 3 says, they that are of the works of the law are under the curse. Do you know that the works of the law is trusting in me? My ability to, to make it, not God's operating through me. Amen. So the similar ideas, the more we trust in my ability to do it, the more we'll find that curse has function. But the more we put our faith in God and his word, then the blessing has the opportunity to function. But notice how it describes it. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. He, verse 6, he shall be like a shrub in the desert. Anyone ever been in a desert? Anyone ever seen a shrub in a desert? What do they look like? <laughs> Dead. <laughs> they don't look good, do they? Who's going to be like a shrub in the desert? Well, it's just the people the Lord divinely chooses. Some to be a shrub in the desert and the others to be fruitful. Is that what the verse says? Remember, remember about being careful about mixing our own ideas in with Scripture. People have produced these ideas and presented them as scripture contrary to what the word says because they're mixing in superstitions and our own ideas. People get ideas about the divine will of God from other religions. They become Christians and they just bring it in. Everything that happens is the will of the deity. That's not the Christian idea. Stop bringing these ideas in and mixing them and blending them into Christianity and calling them Christian. This has got us into a lot of trouble. We've had a blended Christianity. Does this say this is God's will for someone? He's a shrub in the desert because the Lord bore, birthed him on this planet to carry the load of being a shrub in the desert to glorify the Lord. Does it say that? Doesn't say stop, stop. We don't need to add that in, do we? Why is he a shrub in the like a shrub in the desert? Because why is he cursed? Because he's trusting and man's got nothing to do with God's will, God's plan, God's destiny. Nothing to do with that. 
does that person have any effect on whether the curse or the blessings functioning on them? Is it all up to God or do they have an impact? What happens if you begin to do it the way God says? You begin to walk in, get your faith function, live by faith, trust in the Lord, build the word into your heart, immerse yourself, hear, speak, believe the word, and just speak that word over your life. What begins to happen? The blessing begins to function, doesn't it? It's not just up to good, good divine design whether you have the blessing or the curse. That's why he didn't say in Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed some of us, but the poor little guys who God doesn't want are free from the curse and who God ordained to be a shrub in the desert, he didn't redeem from the curse. But you can still become Christians, but you just got to still live under the curse. He didn't say that, did he? What can I have? Blessing. Blessing. Shrubs in the desert are dry. They don't grow. Things struggle to survive in the desert. Ever felt like you're just struggling to survive? <laughs> Do you know what that is? That's a shrub in the desert. Is that what God wants you to be pre-operating like? No. Let's look at the rest of the description. She'll be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes. But she'll inhabit the parched places in the wilderness. What's a parched place? Dry. What, what's doing this to the person's life? The curse. Do you want to be inhabiting the parched places? Of the, I mean, it's bad enough inhabiting a wilderness, but what about the parched places of the wilderness? That means the worst places in the wilderness, the driest part of the driest area. <laughs> that does not sound good. Is this, is this God's plan? Is this a blessing? No. It's a curse. Is the Bible clear? Does it, is it quite clear in its definition here of what this is that's functioning? Someone says, well, that sounds my, like my life. Well, you really need to spend some time meditating on Galatians 3.13 and 14 then and get this built into you, get this functioning in your life. Begin to walk in the reality. Christ redeemed me from the curse. I don't have to be like a, in the past place of the wilderness. That's a curse. Identify it. Recognize it. When you see these, this is why we're looking at individual areas, Yeah. <clears throat> you begin to pinpoint it. It's one thing to speak generally. It's another thing to begin to say these specific areas. This is what it's looking like. That's curse functioning. Can we get the opposite? We can get the blessing functioning. Parched places in the world. In a salt land which is not inhabited. Salt land. Salt, uh, what, what, you know what they used to do in those days? When, 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 uh, it, at points in history, when people in, in, invaded other countries... One of the things they would do is they'd spread salt all over their fields to stop the fields producing. Nothing grows in a salted field. It's one of the ways they starved countries. If you had a big group that would come in and invade another nation and they wanted to keep them down as slaves, they'd spread salt all over their fields. Because now they can't grow their own food. And now they're dependent. They've got to import. They're dependent upon their oppressors. The salted field puts you in a position where you're dependent upon an oppressor to get you through. Are we supposed to be in that position? No. We're supposed to be under salted fields. Okay. Now, what does he describe in verse 7? This is the opposite. Blessed is the man. Do you see that phrase quite a lot in Scripture? Psalm 1. There's others, I think Psalm 112. Others, blessed is the man. 
You see this all throughout the word when you begin to recognize it for what it is. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Well, trust is an aspect of faith, isn't it? What will happen when your faith is functional and whose hope is, is the Lord? Verse 8, he shall be like a tree planted by the waters. Does that sound like Psalm 1? It's very similar terminology here. It's just that Psalm 1 doesn't describe the contrasting side, the curse. But, but here we see the curse and the blessing. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters who spreads out its roots by the river. <laughs> Notice that word, spreads out. What's something that spreads out? That means it's got space. Oh, spread out. Some space to spread out. Does that sound good? Does he say it's all crammed on top of each other? Nobody, nobody got any space to move. <laughs> if it says it spreads out, that means there's space, isn't there? Space to grow. Is that, is that part of the blessing? And will not fear when the heat comes. Why? Will not fear when the heat comes. Why? Where's the heat coming from? Okay. Is the heat, the heat's coming from the outside, isn't it? This is an external thing coming in. It could be all kinds of things, but the important thing is it's external. The heat's coming. Okay. Well, what's this telling you? Will not fear when conditions change on the outside. Why? Because it makes no difference to my blessing. <clears throat> it makes no difference. The matter if it's, it, it, the matter if it gets hotter. Oh, the planet's getting hotter. Nothing's going to grow. Well, on my ground, you just watch. I'm not going to fear, fear when heat comes. Yeah. But its leaf will be green. Will not be anxious in the year of drought. That's the same thing. External circumstance. Drought means everything's going wrong everywhere else around you. Do you fear? Why not? Because the blessing of the Lord's upon me. And what does that mean? When the blessing of the Lord is upon me, what does that mean? Look at the last, look at the last phrase. It will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit there it is 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 continuing to yield fruit no matter what the circumstances dry drought heat everything else going on on the outside is continuing to yield fruit part of the blessing is the fruitfulness going to stop no continue to yield fruit for who the blessed man Father God, I thank you that I'm blessed. And I thank you that that blessing is causing me to be fruitful. Why would God put this in his word if he didn't want it, want it for his people? Why did he say, that's what happens when a, a curse happens? That's what happens when a blessing happens. Oh, by the way, I've blessed you in Christ. Oh, but I've blessed you in Christ. I've told you what happens under a blessing. But actually, it's not my will for you to be fruitful. How's that for a confused message? <laughs> is that for complete confusion? He, brought, he says, blessing is for you in Christ. Let me describe to you the blessing. Blessing is fruitfulness and production and increase and things going well. And, and, and by the way, you're blessed in Christ. But actually, what I really mean is I want you dry like a shrub and, and walking under a curse. 
What a confused message has been presented in the church. Is God clear what's blessing and what's curse? And am I, am I being redeemed from the curse? Is the curse for me? Who's the curse for? The unrighteous. I've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Am I supposed to be? Is it the will of God? It is, the, is it the plan of God? Is it the desire of God that this be what my life is like? Is that? And someone says, well, yes, it would be lovely if the Lord would just arrive and do it for me. No, no, that's not, that's not how the Bible says it works. Where does the blessing function? In faith. Is faith just a passive force that just sits on the shelf all week? And you just assume you're in faith. Or is it or, or, or does the Bible show us what's involved in faith? Anyone, anyone, what's involved in faith? It's what's the process? Hear the word. Immersion in the word, saturation. Do you realize that hearing the word is the fuel that keeps the rest of the process going? It doesn't say hear it once and then jump onto believing, jump onto speaking, and then forget about the hearing because you heard it a week ago, but now, now speak and speak and then wonder why my words aren't working because you've got no fuel in the engine. The, the hearing the word, hearing the word, hearing the word is part, it's a non-stop part of the process. It is immersion. That's why he says, Psalm 1, in his law, he meditates once a week at church. You're fueling the process. Jesus said, abide in me and my word abide in you. And then he went on to talk about fruitfulness. Well, that's blessing. So how does faith operate? Faith comes by hearing. It's an immersion process where you, the word of God begins to surround you. Now someone says, well, I don't have time because I'm really busy. We covered that. Listen to last week's one. It wasn't, you see, that's the curse functioning. People are chasing their tail. They've got no time for the word. It's what the enemy wants. He wants to squash the word out because he knows the immersion in the word is what fuels the entire rest of the process. He even wants preachers to talk you out of spending time in the word. Do you know these preachers that will talk, talk you out of spending time in the word? They'll tell you, oh, that's just works reading your Bible every day. Can you show me where the Bible says that? Nowhere does the Bible say the works of the law or, or, or put it this way, the Bible always distinguishes that the works of the law and faith are two different things. There is no scripture that says, actually, suddenly faith is the works of the law. But how many people are teaching that? Oh, you don't have to speak it all the time. You don't have to get, get in the word because that's works. Where's your scripture? I'll tell you what that is. That's human opinion being taught as if it's Christian message. And it's keeping people out of the word. Now we've got lots of Christians who said, well, they told me to spend time on the word. But this preacher said, I don't have to spend time on the word. So I don't have to spend time on the word because that's just a works program. So I'll tell you what, we'll just won't spend time on the word. We're back to square one where people are not in the word anymore. And they're not speaking the word. Here's the simple choice. Just go with what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? Meditate in my word day and night. Saturate yourself. Get it, in your, get it in your mouth. Get the process working. That is the process of faith. It's not the process of works. It is the opposite of works. It is the God-designed, God-given process of how the word works in someone's life. Hearing, saturated into your heart, believing the word. Above what? What I can see. When I can see the curse... But I begin to choose to believe what the word says. I'm not moved by what I see. Looks like it's a parched ground. But Father, I, got, I, well, I, I thank God that you said it's blessed. And then what do you do once you believe? 
what's part of the believing is the speaking. I don't talk what I see. I talk according. I call those things that be not as though they were. And I say, Father, I thank you. Your blessings upon me, because the Bible says Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. The blessing of Abraham come, has come upon me. I'm walking in the blessing. I thank you. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by the fact that it looks like a parched salt ground where nothing produces. I am moved by the fact that your word teaches that I'm blessed in Christ. What do you do? You keep speaking that. You keep. You just stand in that position, don't you? You live by that position. You know what will happen? It will change. But people say it three times and it doesn't change and they just stop saying it. That's why they never see it working in their life. Okay? It's got to become the position you, you abide in and hold yourself in. Amen? If you want this functioning. Have you got something out of this today? How many believe we can walk in this place? Blessing. How many of you agree with me? This is a blessed church. We're a family. We have our little ups and downs. We're a family have it, but we love each other, don't we? And, and how many of you understand? We got we, we're we're working toward a vision. We've got a wonderful, blessed bunch in this church. I, I'm telling you, people of the word, people who've got a history of the word. That's amazing. People, it, it, but but together we're taking a stand, aren't we? And we're going to see the vision come to pass. See to see see come to pass what God has for for for.